0: Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Um, God has really raised an army with us and we're so excited and you know it was very Cool to be able to watch that service from our vacation. Ah, nice worship. Mm, nice, nice word. Uh, my family and I we thank you for your kind words. And um, you know, there are some other churches. If they are pastor flex more, the people will be angry, <laughs> you know. But you guys, the way you love is amazing. Thank you very much. Hallelujah. And something interesting happened as we were returning back. And that's where I want to start the sermon from because it's very much in line with the flow of thought. So as we got on board the plane to return, I put an ear- earpiece on and I was listening to an audiobook. And something very interesting happened. There was a young girl who was sitting in the row in front of us. She just turned and looked at me suddenly, then turned and looked at her mom. As soon as she saw her mom was not looking, she stretched her hand from the front and tried to grab something I was holding. So I said, hey, little fellow. <laughs> what's that? You know, it was funny the first time. <laughs> and then about 15 minutes after, she turned, looked at me again, looked at her mom, saw her mom was not watching. This time around, I was, we were having refreshments. So the, the tray table was open in front of me. She was going to spill my drink, just wanted to... I was like, what? I don't understand what is going on. And, you know, and each time I would raise, you know, just raise an alarm. Hey, what's happening? The mom would give her a gentle spank, Bam! you know, face forward. And that happened too many times. By the After the fourth time, I was getting a little pissed. What is going on? You know, and um, by the fifth time, When she tried to do it again, I was already angry. I was, I I don't know what I would have done, but you know, I'm a man of God full of the spirit, you know. (laughs) But something interesting happened. As I was about to react, my wife tapped me gently and said, she's a special child. Some of you understand that expression. I said, hey, Holy Spirit, they help your boy now, you for tell me. (laughs) Just imagine, you know. I just did something like maybe I knocked her when the mom was not watching. <laughs> <laughs> face of hands. <laughs> you know? And who knows? Maybe the mom had been watching me. You know, this man of God is behind me. And all of that. Then I did that. You know, I said, oh, oh, this man of God. But it just rebuttressed in a powerful way something I had always known. That sometimes the needs of people aren't always as apparent. You see, when it's a physical disability, it's more obvious. If it's with the feet or maybe with the eyes or something, it's more obvious and you know, you can immediately begin to treat the person differently and just try to be nice to the person. But you have to realize there are many people who look normal, dress normal, and a lot is going wrong. In fact, some people with physical disabilities are healthier. Than others who don't have any physical disability. I hope you know that. Reminds me of a story in the Bible that has always, you know, always fascinated me as a child. That story keeps giving me Nollywood vibes because it's a Nollywood that after you have shot someone, the person is still communicating. Ah, you shot me. See <laughs> blood. <laughs> now I will die. You know I like it. you. <laughs> so, and as funny as you find that, as a child, I always got that vibe reading Genesis 2 and 3. Like God said, the day you eat of this tree, you will surely die. He told Adam that. But guess what? Adam ate the fruit, and God comes in the cool of the day. He calls Adam, and Adam responds, I thought you were dead, bro. Adam responds, Adam, where are you? So I'm hiding. Ah-ah. You know, and they go on to have a long conversation. What is going on? How can someone who was supposedly dead the day he ate the fruit live 930 something years? What's going on? But alas, that's the point. From the story of the fall of man, we realize that someone can look okay and be dead. Can look alive and be dead. And as contradictory as that might seem, from your natural biological sense, you have to understand the moment, the possibility, the mere possibility of death came into man, man died. And even though it took almost a thousand years for that death to manifest, it had been there from day one. And it's part of what I'm saying. Some people look okay and are not okay. That thought should come to your mind every time you just watch the news. And you wonder, what is wrong with our world? Just the past seven days alone, the things that have happened. So the U.S. troops left Afghanistan and the Taliban took over. And now the whole world is praying for that country because we we don't know what is going to happen next. We heard yesterday they started reading from door to door, seizing Bibles and, you know, things like that. And we wonder, how bad would it get? Do you know how bad the world is? There are some terrible things that happen that don't even make the news. For instance, there was something serious that happened last week. And many of you didn't hear about it. Are you aware that there was a jihad attack in Burkina Faso? Who heard about it? And about 50 people were killed. Now, can you imagine that? This happened last, just days ago. Is there nobody here that heard about it? If you heard about it raise your hand. Nobody. Google it. I mean that's how bad things are. That's how bad. And even as a Nigerian you read 50 people died like <laughs> smalls. Now on a daily every two days now. Because last week also, we got a report from one of the mission groups that we partner with and pray for in in this country. And they said two of their missionaries, herdsmen, went to their camp, captured them, and shot one of them in the stomach. And so the pastorates, we've been praying, you know, and all of that, and just... All I'm saying has happened in seven days. And now, you want to think, do you know how depraved you have to be to take another, another human life, another person's life? And I don't know if you've watched any interview of maybe serial killers, I mean, real people. Many of them look normal. You would have expected that maybe serial killers and all these murderers, they will have tattoos all over there. But the people that have tattoos and are big now, iPhone, they steal. Have you noticed I'm just, just say you know, the real ones look normal, you know, no stature, and they're killing people. Weird things. So when you see the ministry of Jesus, what is apparent gets our attention, but there were bigger priorities. Yes, Jesus opened blind eyes, and I've told you a million times how fascinating that was. You see... Jesus was not the first person to walk miracles. Elijah did incredible things. Elisha did incredible things. Moses did incredible things. But there were things that Jesus did that made him stand out. Nobody ever opened a blind eye before Jesus. Nobody. And so when Jesus did it not once, not twice, not three times, that's noteworthy. Some of the people born blind. Blind. And then he does it in a creative way. Bends to the ground, you know, gathers some clay, spits on it, puts it in the eye socket. And then the person begins to see. Oh, that's incredible. Or he tells someone with a withered hand, in the presence of people, he says, stretch your hand. Oh my God. Have you ever pictured that before? And the person stretches and fingers begin to grow. Begin to formulate. The hand gets longer. Wow, that's incredible. But guess what? That was not his major agenda. He said, I am come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Listen, what Jesus was really here to fix was something internal. Even scientifically, it is proven that people might look normal and not be normal. So someone has an accident, a car crash, and he just checks himself. Oh, none of my bones are broken. He dusts himself and says, I'm okay. A medical expert will say, get a checkup, because something might be wrong. Because there is something called internal injury. And it's not apparent, it's not obvious, but something is wrong. And that's the state of man generally, spiritually. Many people have healthy bodies, but a bankrupt spirit. Something fundamental is wrong. And so the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, from verse 4. I'm going to paraphrase first, then I'm going to go into more details. But there is just something I want to stand out for you. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. You know what it says? Read this with me. It says, in whom the God of this world has blinded, did he say the eyes? No, now we're used to Jesus opening blind eyes. And that's wonderful. But this is another miracle that you need to be aware of. The God of this world has blinded the minds. So thank God for blind eyes opening. But it's also a miracle for blind minds to open. It's even a more needed miracle. So some people are blinded in their minds. They're without natural affection. Without natural affection. When you hear of adults raping children, that that you are sick. Blinded the minds of them. So now, so 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 now this is. This is something to look out for. He says, Ezekiel prophesied about the ministry of the Christ. He says, when you receive the spirit of Christ, the stony heart will be taken out of your flesh. You receive a heart of flesh. Now that's an internal work. It won't change your stature. It won't change the size of your head. Amen. Some of you, you you had a big head before you got born again and now glory be to God. Your head is still the same. But something radically different has happened inside you. Say a loud amen. So this is another miracle to be aware of. Thank God you're fine physically. But what about your soul? What's the state of your soul? And then apart from natural affection, there is spiritual affection too. Which actually is the direct and immediate context of this verse. It says, In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine in them. There is this luster effect that the glory of God in his gospel has that some people can't see. It's beautiful, it's luxurious. But for some reason, not everybody is as informed about what is valuable as they should be. After all, not all that glitters is gold. But this is the real treasure, the real gold. And if you can't see beauty in Christ, you are blind. And respectfully, maybe some of you are in that state right now. You join a church like this and during the praise, everybody is shouting and jumping and you're wondering what's the fuss about. Why the drama? Don't lie. Some of you, your first experience in this church, that was how you felt. Why are they jumping? What did he say? You know? <laughs> but there is something amazing in Christ And if you don't see it, something is broken inside you. And the good news is it can be fixed. But you have to see it. You have to see that it's a problem. You have to see that it's something that must change. Hallelujah. There is beauty in Christ. Can you tell that to the person by your side? There's beauty in Christ. Have you ever experienced ecstasy in prayer before? Have you ever been praying and you hit? It's hard to explain. You have to experience it yourself. The Bible says, taste and see. You have to experience it yourself. Like, you you didn't know what to do with yourself. You felt lighter. You felt like you were going to float. Have you ever prayed and it felt your leg was not touching the floor again? You're like, am I levitating? What is happening? What is this? Now, you were timid, you were petrified, you were worried about life and the things you were experiencing, but after praying, it's not as if you know intellectually what will be done or how it will be handled, but you just know. You just know. Listen, Paul knew what he was doing when he compared being filled with the Spirit with being drunken with wine. He says, be not drunken with wine, wearing is excess, but be filled. He knew what he was saying. There is a different type of high. That does not require drugs. It has all the symptoms, the staggering, the you know, your speech will become inconsistent. All the symptoms, but no wine. It's hard to explain. Not only is it hard to explain, it's better. I've been high many times and I've not taken wine in my life. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I remember the time, Edima still being very much a toddler, walked into the room, and I was worshiping and crying. And she just looked at me worried. Daddy, what happened? So now I stopped and I was like, how do I explain to her? I said, come here, my dear. Jesus loves me. I'm just crying because Jesus loves me. (laughs) Hallelujah. And you don't understand how remarkable that is for me. Because before then, before I got got saved. I thought I had a problem. Because even burial, I won't cry. And you know, I had watched a lot of Nollywood movies. And in Nollywood movies, if you don't cry, you are suspect. (laughs) Is it not true? So there was a day they announced, you know, a relative, it's confession, a relative had died. And I had to fake it. I was a child. I just fell to the ground, and on the ground, with my eyes still dry, I was wondering, "Are you sure I'm okay?" <laughs> no, seriously, I, am I all right? There's something wrong. Like, cry now, to cry. <laughs> Until now, just in terms of personal interpersonal relationship, I won't really consider myself a crier, but. but just sing about Jesus. Get on the keyboard. Sing about Jesus. As I will mess myself for you. <laughs> that, that's, that's just me. Because something has changed. Something has changed. Something has changed. I, I, see, for some of you, I'm describing something you've been experiencing you've not been able to explain. I'm, I'm, I'm describing it for you. And... For some of you this is a walking on water experience so that you can see your destiny you know playing out in other people and you will want it to. It's transferable, it's contagious you see. Remember the day I was praying and I hit that high and something I would always known in my head became a flame in my heart. I started screaming. Jesus is Lord, I was screaming in the house, running, you know, I must have been hitting things, you know, Jesus is Lord, you know, and I felt like my head was getting bigger, I can't explain that, you know, some of you who have had physical experiences where maybe an angel appeared, you know that thing, but I was feeling that, you know, running, and I was like, oh my God, I'm alone in the house, nobody to tell, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is alive, and then right about that time, I heard a honk from my mom's car. So she was back from work. So I went to open the gate for her. And as soon as I opened the door for her, I said, Mom! Jesus is Lord! And she said, yes! What happened? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Just, she said, Glory. <laughs> she, she didn't do this, by imagine, did you? Know? <laughs> Hallelujah. Jesus said, He that drinks of this well that I shall give, he says, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. It's a satisfaction. Huh? A river that will never run dry. Praise the Lord. No, you, don't, you no longer need a comedian to be happy. You no longer need, you don't, you, don't, you don't need anyone to play music for you to be happy. There's something inside. If you know what I'm talking about, act like it. <laughs> Hallelujah. So the title of my sermon this morning is Chief Joy. Chief joy, to joy in Christ above all things, all, all other things or everything else. You see, this is very important. It's an integral part of why this ministry exists. As a ministry, we have four missions. The first is this, and some of you just joined, so I want you to pay attention. The first is to be an effective evangelical ministry enlisting people for Christ. The second is to be an effective teaching ministry, raising people in Christ. The third is to be an effective mission minded ministry, redeploying people for Christ. So we want to enlist, we want to train, we want to redeploy. But the fourth is where the name celebration church comes from. Has anyone asked you, What are you celebrating? When you say, What's the name of your church? You know, they say, What are you celebrating? This is how to answer we emphasize the surpassing delight in Christ above all things. Above all things. So listen, there are de- different degrees of the perception of need. People see obvious need in a man when he has a physical difficulty, but I, I have proven to you that some people, the, 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 the difficulty is internal. It's an internal injury, a spiritual bankruptcy. God wants you to see glory in his Christ. So many people follow God for the physical healings, but he's after their soul. Are you getting what I'm saying? And so right after you begin to see glory in Christ and you are saved, there is yet more. Yeah, I know that you have found joy in Christ, just like you have joy in other things. You really like to party. You really like, you know, to dress up. You really like uh, to make money then there is Christ. But this is the true order of things. The surpassing delight in Christ above all things. So when your desires are assessed, nothing is supposed to stand toe to toe, shoulder to shoulder with Christ in your heart. The hierarchy must be a pyramid with Christ clearly at the center. Nothing stands beside him. So every other desire is in Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying you shouldn't have other desires, but they must be in Christ. Christ becomes your lens and your perspective through which you determine what other things you should even desire. This is important. Not only is this important, it's a serious litmus test for true salvation. You see, Christ doesn't just want duty. Ah, that's what I'm saying. You see, the the devotional structure can still be okay physically. You have the impression of being alive, but something is broken. Because you still come to church regularly, and you still give regularly. Listen, he doesn't just want duty, he wants delight. So in Matthew chapter 16, I think verse 22, when Jesus hinted that he was going to die, Peter accosted him and began to, you know, say all kinds of things, rebuking him and saying, why are you talking like that? You will not die. And Jesus rebuked him sharply. And I wish I had more time to explain why Jesus did that, to the best of my knowledge. But here is what you need to learn. Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. Why did he call him Satan. He says, because you savor not the things that be of God. Listen, you have to reckon what your appetite says about you. He says, if you savor not the things that be of God, that's satanic. Get behind me, Satan. You savor not the things that be of God. Listen, if you find yourself in an environment like this and you're wondering what the hype is about, everybody is worshiping, praying, you know, and you are just cold, We ask you why you're not moved. You say it's your temperament. You begin to come up with sleep phrases, phlegmatic, melancholy, you know, it's my temperament. But the same you. When at the last minute, the 90th minute, your team scores, you lose your mind. You know, every African sports fanatic knows this, what I'm about to say if an important match is ongoing and you don't have power, electricity in your house, you can gauge when they score by the shouts of your neighbors. Is that true? So you say, go! You hear, you hear it. Everybody's shouting. You say, ah, they've scored. They've scored. So your neighbors hear your shout when they're watching a football game, but they've never heard you pray. It's a problem. And God is not against your desiring in anything else. But you have to understand the terms and the conditions of this contract called Christianity you have entered. The surpassing delight in Christ above all things. If there is anything you love remotely close to Christ, it is called idolatry. That's what it is. That's what it is. There must be a clear gap. Jesus used a strong figure of speech, just metaphorically. He said, our love for him should be so high that in comparison, our love for other things should be called hate. So he says, anyone who will come after me must hate his father, hate his mother, hate his own self, and take up his cross and follow me. You know, Jesus is not a preacher of hate. He's a preacher of love. Mm. (laughs) But he just said that metaphorically. That's very deep, I Uh You know, so, Jesus is not a liquid metal. So, (laughs) uh (laughs) so, so what was he saying? He was speaking metaphorically. Your love for me should be so high that there should be no comparison. That's what he's saying. You must savor the things that be of God. Come on, are you learning anything? You know, after I'd pastored the Abuja Church for about two years, we had this get-together. And secretly, I have um, a curriculum in my spirit for every congregation I'm privileged to pastor. I learned that from Paul. Paul always did an assessment of the congregation to know what they needed. So he would tell Corinth, as you abound in all trans gifts, abound in this grace also, as you abound in faith. So you abound in tongues, you speak in tongues well, but you, I know they give. You know, so there are congregations like that. So there are some congregations that are very generous, but their prayer life is faulty, you know, and all of that. So um, at that time, I really wanted them to work on their joy, like their expression of worship. It's very important in church that you express yourself during praise and worship. It's a reflection of the health of your devotion, I'm telling you. And maybe there were some people I was just like, eh, yeah, they have a lot to learn, but it's also their temperament. Until we had get together, and that's when I realized a lot of you all are big hypocrites. Even some of the people I thought you know are very gentle when they started playing music, and I, said, eh, ha. I kid you not. There was one lady in particular I almost fainted. I said, no, I did like this. I said. Who am I seeing? You know, this lady in the crowd, hidden in the crowd, she will not dance. Over. She came on the platform that day. I was, you know. Ah, wow. And she dragged out her brother and both of them were. <laughs> so I kept quiet. And she came to said, from today. <laughs> in this church, if you don't dance, By the way, we are having a get-together soon. I want to monitor some of you. <laughs> um, DJ Humphrey, where is he? Where is he? Is Humphrey, where is he? We need to have some jam. I want to discover hidden talents <laughs> so that I know who this sermon is truly for. You're expressive. You're pretending. You're expressive. <laughs> Hallelujah. And that's something to work on. I want you to see something that um, David said. In Psalm 137, verse 6b, I'll paraphrase first. And then I'll go into more detail. He said, I prefer Jerusalem to my chief joy. Can you say chief joy? He says, I prefer Jerusalem to my chief joy. First of all, the concept of chief joy, that everybody has that one thing that gets the best of their emotions. Everybody. So what, what makes you happy? Some of you is food. Foodie. You, some of you even put it on your Instagram bio. Foodie. Let me tell you something. Let me, I've, I've shaded Lucky Church. I want to shade you people. So I asked on my page like two weeks ago, <laughs> wait now. I said, if money was no more an issue, maybe someone was bankrolling you, bankrolling your every need and desire. What would you do with your life? I was expecting people to say, ah, you know, I've had compassion for the poor all this while. If that wasn't an issue, I would help more. You know, so you know what some of you were saying? I will tour around the world. <laughs> I will visit places. Hey. Hallelujah. So David spoke about chief joy he says i prefer jerusalem to my chief joy i I, see I, i want us to read this together i wish i had enough time to read this the whole thing to you and just do a verse by verse commentary from the first verse it's already so powerful it's the lyrics of a popular song it says by the rivers of babylon there we sat down yeah we wept when we remembered zion so background of the story These children of Israel had been taken on exile. Their villages had been plundered. They had lost many of their people to a battle. And now these guys are in Babylon as slaves. And their captors now tell them, sing us a song. They require us a song. The songs that were sacred, the sacred songs of Jehovah... You're asking us to sing it to you for entertainment. (sighs) You know what they said in verse 5 and verse 6? It says, if I forget the old Jerusalem, let my left hand forget her calling. So this is an instrumentalist talking. I would rather forget how to play the instrument. Let my right hand be useless than for me to hold on to music without Christ at the center. Do you know how important it is for an instrumentalist to say that? Yeah, I can sing about other things, but Christ is my chief joy. And if I can no longer sing about Christ, let me forget how to play. For an instrumentalist that makes his livelihood from music to say, I would rather never touch this instrument again. That's chief joy. What about the singers? What did they say? Verse 6, it says, if I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. My tongue has no more use if it can't sing for Jesus. You can as well just gum it, use super glue, gum it, no use again. Let it cleave to the roof of my mouth. I prefer Jerusalem above my chief joy. He so says, Let it cleave if I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. Are you getting this right now? The surpassing delight in Christ above all things. Say loud amen. amen. Doesn't matter what else you like, what else you value. This must be your chief joy. And what I'm teaching you is not sacrificial, it's smart. It is smart investment. A lot of people, when they hear sermons like this, they think Christianity is hard, and that's because you are not seeing properly. You don't have the right perspective. Turn the Bibles, Matthew 13, from verse 44. Matthew here, Matthew 13, from verse 44. This is so powerful. Listen, this is one of the most important texts in this ministry. This defines our perspective to spiritual things. Not just duty, but delights. Even David, a man of the sense, he said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. How much more you who has become the house of the Lord? The goodness and the glories of that house must follow you. There must be a divine excitement to you. You must change the atmosphere everywhere you go. Come on, come on. Come on. Hallelujah. So this is what it says in Matthew chapter 13 verse 44. It says, God's kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field. Let me read from KJV, which many of you have. NKJV. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which when a man had found, he hid. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. So think of it in business terms. You are farming and maybe accidentally you find treasures in the field. You hide it. And then maybe that field, you rented it before. You go to the owner and say, please name your price. I want to buy this field immediately. Why? Because you found a treasure there. He says, picture the kingdom of heaven like that. Some of you, your picture of the kingdom of heaven is wrong. You picture the kingdom of heaven as something of just sacrifice, labor, and all of that. Some of you keep giving Jesus this vibe, like, You say, if you know I'm trying, it's hard. You say, You know, do I easy? <laughs> That's the vibe you are giving God. You know? But He says, picture it as a treasure. Something valuable. Not just valuable. In comparison, you will see. So he says, he hid it and for joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. Listen, 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 listen. Think of the rich young ruler. Jesus said, sell all you have and follow me. And that was a problem. And some of you secretly have struggled with that. As if to say, Jesus said, why would you say that? I what kind of, do you understand what I'm saying? And I don't have enough time to teach on this, but I've given you a simple example before. I said, if Dangote tells a young entrepreneur, sell off your business and follow me, what would you advise the entrepreneur to do? So the problem is not what Jesus said. The problem is your perspective of Jesus. Because if Dangote can make the same request and you will gladly do it, you will tell Dangote, sir, let's not waste time. If I go and sell it, you might not be here when I come. Just let's follow. (laughs) Leave the shop open. Let them steal what they want to steal. Following you is more valuable. The question is, do you know who Jesus is? So listen, your value of the kingdom is not measured by what you hope to gain by it, but what you can lose for it. The, your value of the kingdom is not measured by what you hope to gain by it, but what you can lose for it. He says, For joy, he goes and sells all that he has. He's not even sad about it that Jesus, this is hard, though, but I will do it. He sees it as a smart and a wise investment. Losing all you have to keep Christ is not sacrificial, it's smart. This is the biggest tr- treasure, the chief joy. The excellent glory of God, Christ Himself. And one day you will realize that the greatest glories of this world pale in comparison to Him. The center of all things. The one around whom the world revolves. It says all things are by Him and through Him and for Him. Nothing comes close. And if you don't see this, you need to fix your gaze. There's something wrong with your gaze. Your eye needs to become single so that your body will be full of light. There's something wrong with your sight. And that's what we're talking about. He didn't stop there. In verse 45, he gives another example. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. So he's talking in financial terms, business terms. A merchant is thinking of making profits. He says... It's like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. When he found one pearl of great price, he sold all that he had. Listen, he's a merchant. He's a collector. He has a lot of pearls, not just for his personal consumption, but to sell. But to find one pearl that outweighs all other pearls in class, in price, in value, and joyfully, you sell all other pearls for that one pearl you see him you will know that he is worth more than everything you have ever pursued and that whatever you sacrificed he was worth it don't wait till then reckon it now carry your cross if you haven't follow him he's worth it he's worth it The first time I preached this sermon, I wrote a song for it. It says, Abba, Father, Daddy, I delight in you. I delight in you. You're my life. Sing if if it's true about you. Abba, Father, Daddy, I delight in you.